Tony Hunt, you're listening to Chain Reaction and the News Roundup. All things impacting global supply chains this week. Inflation, interest rates up, costs of loans and borrowing much higher, food prices up, energy costs still high. It's a dizzy cocktail for anybody working in business and for consumers. So will consumer demand hold up? And the important thing to note about that is we're in the biggest sales season for retailers from now till Christmas. When we hit December the 26th and beyond, if you've not sold your stock, you might have some big costs lining up. Now, you might be forgiven for thinking that it was an endless stream of money coming from container boxes and shipping, and that those companies offering those services were going to make continuous profits. But Maersk this week has announced that there's been a downturn for shipping and container boxes. And that's because there's a looming recession. So are we now going to see not excessive demand, but falling demand, which leads to falling supply, which means recession? Now clearly things have changed quite a bit from one year to the next. This year we're expecting to see a fall in demand for shipping and transportation, and of course for container boxes. No longer do we have the shortages that we had in the previous year, but we now have an overcapacity. And this is because many countries are cutting back on their demand for goods. And of course, supplies are not as available as they were a year ago. So it's more difficult to get hold of the things you might want as well. And that's particularly the case with China's zero COVID policy and the lack of supply out of China. Container demand has fallen between 2 to 4% this year, according to Maersk. And it's clear that freight rates have actually peaked and they're starting to normalise during the quarter with this decrease in demand and the easing of supply congestion. That's according to Chief Executive Soren Sku. Well, COP27 is about to start in Egypt in just a couple of days, and the world leaders will be present to discuss how they can make the climate change policies work, and it's looking a bigger ask than ever. Well, the COP27 conference is about to start in Egypt, and many of the world leaders will congregate in Sharm el-Sheikh to discuss climate change. The conference takes place from November the 6th to November the 18th. Heads of states, ministers and negotiators, along with climate activists, MERS, civil society representatives and CEOs of many of the world's largest companies will meet in the Egyptian coastal city of Sharm el-Sheikh. It's the largest annual gathering on climate change and you'll remember it was held in Glasgow for the last one. The 27th Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, COP27, 
will build on the outcomes of COP26 to deliver action on an array of issues critical to tackling the climate emergency. From urgently reducing greenhouse, gas emissions, building resilience and adapting to the inevitable impacts of climate change to delivering on the commitments to finance climate action in developing countries. Faced with a growing energy crisis, record greenhouse gas concentration and increasing extreme weather events, COP27 seeks renewed solidarity between countries to deliver on the landmark Paris Agreement for People and the Planet. And 194 countries have signed up to net zero by 2050. But there are some very big challenges ahead. It's not plain sailing, and the strategies to get there are still discussed. No fossil fuels, no fossil fuel boilers, 60% of car sales have to be electric by 2030. Existing buildings will all have to be retrofitted with zero carbon materials to insulate and keep the heat in. Half of heating demand has to be met by heat pumps, and electricity has to be made from green energy. But you've still got heavy industries that require enormous amounts of heat and discharge lots of carbon. Cement manufacture and all those sorts of businesses, the dirty businesses, steel manufacture, all problematic. Are we going to get 90% of electricity from renewables, which is what will be needed to get to net zero? Well, it all seems a long way off and the temperatures are still rising. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of COP. I noted this week in the Financial Times that uh, there are two new reports out ahead of COP27, and you can get access to those and read about some of the ideas that governments have or will be adopting to get to this net zero position. I'm sure there's going to be lots of press coverage in the next few days, and of course we'll return to some of the headliners out of COP27 in the next News Roundup here. According to Rostat, Russian retail sales plunged 9.8% in September year-on-year, after an 8.8% fall in the previous month, and the jobless rate has increased by, or two, nearly 4% of the workforce. The Russian Central Bank has interest rates at 7.5%, and there might be increasing inflation just down the line. Disposable incomes have fallen by 3.4% in the third quarter of 2022 year-on-year, after an 8.9% rise in the same period for last year. So the economy not looking so good according to those numbers. Both the Fed in the United States and the Bank of England in the UK raised interest rates last week by three quarters of a percentage point. The range for lending in the United States by the central bank is now 375 and it marks the fastest round of increases since the former Fed chair Paul Volcker tried to control inflation in the 1970s and 1980s. And similarly, in the United Kingdom, it's the biggest increase so far to try and control inflation this time round. UK battery firm British Vault averted collapse this week and has managed to secure the additional funding needed to continue in business. The British government rejected an approach from British Vault to advance £30 million of funding earmarked for the company 
And the reason given by the government was they were concerned that it might just be used to shore up costs rather than be used for investment into the factory. So there was quite a a firm stand by the government. Government's already committed £100 million to the British Vault project, but it's carefully earmarked against stages in the investment. It's an important development for United Kingdom to build this gigafactory in Blythe in the northeast of England, where it's likely to create around 3,000 jobs. But it's been delayed a number of times, and there was concern whether the 3.8 billion project would become a reality. It's an important part of the government's strategy, of course, to have these gigafactories to replace petrol and diesel engines in new car production in the UK by 2030. So if this doesn't come about, it would mean importing those batteries from elsewhere. Now here's a quick roundup of news events happening all around the world this week, just in a minute. And we have US jobs growth, which has seen the smallest growth in two years, and the unemployment rate is up slightly. Nissan in talks with Renault to make better competing electric cars. North Korea firing artillery, destabilizing that part of the world. More missiles. About 80 artillery rounds were fired in protest from Seoul in joint military drills this week as well. Russia and North Korea forge closer ties amid their shared isolation. Ford in the United States should ease foreign entity rules so that more electric vehicles get tax credits. Oil climbs as the dollar slips and supply risks linger. And I also saw a piece about Twitter laying off staff, which they were told about in a company email. So that's since Elon Musk has taken over. Seems to be a big clear out going on. Brent crude futures increased by $1.84, or 1.9%. They now stand at $96.51 a barrel. There was another interesting piece of news I came across this week from Apparel Insider, where they were reporting that Russian oil was fueling polyester manufacture in India and China. And some of the biggest brands in the world were importing polyester clothing from those two countries and from those two suppliers that had gained most from the fall in prices of oil that they've obtained from Russia. Russia rejoined the Green Deal once again this week on Wednesday after previously saying it was withdrawing from that deal. Green shipments have continued to move out of Ukraine through the Black Sea Corridor and onto Asia and elsewhere. And now they seem to be part of supporting that particular initiative once again. So that's good news for the countries that would have otherwise suffered badly from any shortages of grain. With recession looming in the United States and Europe, it was interesting to hear the Bank of England say this week when they raised interest rates that their primary aim was to reduce inflation. But they went on to say that they expected recession in the UK economy throughout 2023 and it could even extend into 2024, according to the bank. Having said this, 
Forecasts from the bank in recent years have not been particularly accurate, and many economists and political commentators have been quick to say the bank was slow in raising interest rates initially to fight inflation, insisting on sticking to its 2% target. Interest rate in the United Kingdom is likely to reach 4.6% according to forecasts from the bank, which is about 1.4% lower than they might have been previously. But it's all speculation, so we'll wait and see. The interest rate currently has been raised by three quarters of a percentage to three percent. And so that's expected to hold for a while. And of course, there are time lags in these movements around inflation and of course, interest rates. It's a similar picture in the United States and it's a similar picture in Europe. So speculation, speculation, forecast, forecast. Hmm. Norwegian research firm Rystad Energy shared some information with the BBC this week about making and shipping liquefied natural gas. It's an extremely energy-intensive process. Fossil gas is cooled in giant fridges to minus 160 degrees. The gas liquefies, it shrinks, and it becomes 600 times smaller which makes it much easier to transport. But the emissions from burning the gas are exactly the same whether it's piped or in liquid form. The additional energy is all used in making and transporting the LNG, and it's significant. Piped gas coming from Norway produces 7 kilograms of CO2 per barrel, but LNG imports into Europe is over 70, so it's about 10 times lower for piped gas as against the LNG. Now there's something I never knew. Now sometimes, of course, reality can be stranger than fiction. But a piece of fiction I watched in the past couple of weeks was the final episode of Doctor Who with Jodie Whittaker. And I don't want to give a spoiler here in case you're going to watch the show. So here's a spoiler alert. Look away now, or turn your ears away now, if you don't want to hear this. Right, okay. You can jump ahead by a minute. The show, in fact, had Russian dolls. Those are the dolls where there's a doll inside a doll inside a doll and so on, until you get to the final doll. And inside the doll was a Cyberman. And then inside the Cyberman, another one and another one and another one. And the other interesting aspect of the fiction was they were able to shrink these dolls. And then bring them back to life later as full-sized Cybermen. So it's a bit like the LNG process I was just talking about. So there is a parallel with what you could do now. Just imagine if you could shrink all those goods that you wanted to get to a new destination and you were able to move them around in smaller and smaller pieces. Wouldn't that be great? Well, it wouldn't be great for the logistics carriers and all the providers with it because they make a lot of money by moving these goods around but if you're in business and you wanted to get the goods quickly that'd be fantastic and I'm sure in fact when we look backwards and we think of how many products have moved to a digital platform and digital supply chain things like newspapers books and other products like that then that's effectively what's happened we're now able to transmit the digital product Fast, efficient, and cheap without logistics. But it's never going to be like that for everything, is it? So, that's the end of my fiction piece. 
where reality can be stranger than fiction. I mean, who'd have thought we'd been sending messages through the ether like we do today, using the internet and postal services falling out of fashion? Well, there we are. That's just a little aside. Airbus delivered 437 aircraft during the first nine months of the year. They employ about 10,000 people directly in the United Kingdom. Broughton assembles wings at a rate of 50 a month for Airbus for the short-haul aircraft in the A320 family, of which the company has delivered 430 in the year to date. Airbus confirmed that it would increase its monthly rate, producing the A320 to 65 by early 2024 and 75 by 2025. It will continue to increase output. The A350 aircraft runs exclusively on Rolls-Royce engines and it competes with Boeing's 787 Dreamliner. So this is all good news for Rolls-Royce and for Airbus. The competition's market in the UK has blocked the merger of two of the largest producers of ready-to-bake products. They said it could lead to higher prices for consumers and they're unhappy with that. Paris-based Corellia could be forced to sell Just Roll, the business it bought just a year ago from General Mills, the US food group, for an undisclosed sum. Car sales in the United Kingdom are set for their worst year since 1982, according to the Society for Motor Manufacturers and Traders. It's down 1.56 million. There are all sorts of reasons for this. It's obviously a tighter economy, but also there's the concern over the changing nature of cars moving towards electric vehicles. Many people are uneasy about making the switch and they're certainly uneasy about making the investment in the old fossil fuel-based cars too, which are going to be phased out by 2030. So that uncertainty about value is key to this market. And is that going to get resolved anytime soon? Well, maybe not. The UN Global Food Price Index fell by 0.1% to its lowest price since January this year. And that means that for many poorer countries in the world, their food prices will be stabilising. This is the lowest measure on the index since Russia invaded Ukraine. Food prices are up 2% year on year, but they're actually down 15% since March of this year when Russia invaded Ukraine. So, a little good news. Now, there's some news coming out of China this week that the COVID zero tolerance and the lockdowns will begin to ease, and certainly throughout 2023. So is this a signal that China's manufacturing industry is opening up again? Well, the markets for metals and for mining seem to think so, because those shares have risen sharply on this news. Now, next week, we have a great episode coming up. I was talking to Mario Paganini, and he's the Vice President of Marketing for Stored. They're based in Atlanta, Georgia, and 
they operate cloud services and complete fulfillment and logistics, warehousing to all kinds of companies. And it was really interesting to talk to Mario and learn a little bit about what Stored do and how they are supporting the supply chain of the future. So drop by and pick up the episode. I'm just going to leave you with a little taster of what Mario said. We have certainly seen a overall industry shift in the way that brands think about their supply chains. And historically, what that's meant is that supply chain is this, you know, back of the office operation. And then you have a separate team of people who are focused on the business, focused on the marketing, focused on the sales, the branding, the 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 advertising, and then a whole separate group of people that are your executives, the folks who are responsible to the investors, to, to the board. Well, if you want to hear more, you'll have to join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast next week. Well, that's it for this week's News Roundup. I'll see you in the next edition of Chain Reaction, when hopefully you'll join us to add value to your supply chain. But for now, I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. The Chain Reaction Podcast was written, presented, and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.